Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer Podcast. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock NBA Podcast. Today's guest is a good friend of mine, Aaron Marshall, a.k.a. Intervals. If you're not familiar, he plays, I guess what you would call, like, instrumental progressive metal along the lines of artists like Polyphia and Chon, all that kind of stuff. If you're into that sort of thing, definitely check Intervals out because you like it. But more than that, he's also a very smart guy with a really good mind for business. So he could absolutely run a company outside of music if he wanted to. I love his perspective on this. The way he runs Intervals as a business to me is really the template for how I think all musicians or really just creators in general need to think about things. This one, we just jump right into it talking about some, you know, pretty uh, intense financial accounting kind of stuff. So brace yourself, but that's good. I mean, you want to hear the nitty gritty details of this stuff, right? I mean, that's that's how you need to think about this stuff. You need to understand how these conversations go if you want to have the kind of success that he has. You know, is he riding around in a Lambo and flying private everywhere? No, but he is building a great life for himself playing music that's you know, pretty inaccessible. Like if you wanted to play music to make money, doing what he does would definitely not be your first choice. And yet he's been able to make a great career for himself because he thinks about it in a really smart way, because he does all the stuff that we talk about in this interview, as far as how he structures his business with touring and streaming and publishing and just kind of all those sort of nitty gritty decisions that add up to a great business. So if you want to hear exactly how he does it, we talk about all that stuff in this interview. Also, make sure you check out his new album, which should be out by the time you hear this. And if you want to support the show, there are a few things that you can do if you are so inclined. Number one is to share it on social media. It really helps us get the word out a lot. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, YouTube, we don't care. Wherever you want to share it, it is much appreciated. Tag me, tag the guest, tag Deanna. It really helps us a lot. Number two, if you really, really like us, you can buy some merch. There's a link to our store in the show notes i just put out a new shirt and a new hat which i think are pretty awesome or you can support us on patreon it is because of the support of all the patrons especially those of you who support at the true cult level or above that we are able to do this show at all it's because of you guys that i was able to hire deanna the producer and editor that makes all this stuff happen she's amazing it is because of you guys that i was able to bring her on board so thank you very much for your support if you would like to check out all the amazing benefits the patrons get. You can do that at the link in the description. And with that out of the way, let's get into the show. Aaron Marshall, aka Mr. Intervals, welcome to the podcast. Hell yes, dude. Good to see you. And yeah, speak you too. with you. I don't know that they're going to see this, but I'm seeing you and we're speaking and it's been a while and it's good to see you. Yeah, it's been quite a while. Um, and you've, you've been busy since then. So you uh, have a new album, which has been out for what, uh, weeks, months, something like that? Comes out next Friday. Come, oh, okay. Well, you started promoting it a few weeks ago then. That's correct. 
Got it. Okay. And how's how's everything going with that? I mean, it's as good as uh, promoting a record in a global pandemic can be, which actually is probably. I mean, I don't really, I don't really know because I don't, I've never done that before. But <laughs> we've exceeded expectations, so I'm gonna go ahead and say it's going really well. I don't know that uh, it would be any different if the world was the way it usually is, but it's been amazing. I feel like media consumption is really high. I feel like the attention span for this type of stuff is like it's not only like the appetite is 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 probably it seems to be bottomless because i think people are clinging to you know mm-hmm. things to look forward to and so am i of course you know music podcasts movies whatever it is it's the kind of stuff that's getting us through these days i think so as a result it feels great i mean there's definitely some cons to that i'm sure we'll get there when we sort of uh dissect the body a little bit here but for the most part the lion's share are pros for sure so we're doing good we feel good about it so it seems the reason i ask is because it seems like you relative to other musicians i don't know if it's deliberate or not have but have constructed a life and a business for yourself that doesn't rely on touring as much as other people may yeah it's funny because it's the passion and it's like the number one thing i wish i was doing right now but it's not the means to the end. And in fact, I think the like from the the fiscal side of things, like the more boring side of things, I think the company might actually stand to do better than it normally would. You know, for, for those that haven't, you know, seen Finn and I or heard Finn and I talk about these things before, I'm completely independent, 100% out of pocket. So you can imagine what it costs to tour and employ nine people and a bus and all these things at a time. So when you remove that from the equation... So this is one thing I wanted to correct is that a lot of people think that touring is a big moneymaker, and for some people it is, but (laughs) for some people it's a big money loser, including some artists that you might think of as pretty successful. Absolutely. There's a lot of common misconceptions with this. You have to be stratosphere stratosphere level to be guaranteed making money on every venture that you do. You have to be in a very special situation to be doing that. I remember talking to somebody from Hollywood Undead in 2011 or 12 or something like that when they were like, you know, at their peak, probably, you know, they just had like a Billboard top three record or something. It was like, yeah, we lost a couple grand on our on our tour. Yeah, that's kind of nutty. And that can happen too. I mean, these are, this is very, it's very complicated. There's a lot of moving parts. But what I will say is we reached a level in the last few years where touring is sustainable. And in fact, when it's built in our favor, AKA headliner, or maybe bundled up with some really nice festival stuff and things like that, we, we can, you know, make it out the other side and it's worth everybody's time. But it's not like piles of free money just because you're on the road. <laughs> <laughs> the vlog may make it look that way. <laughs> piles of pad time maybe, but... Right. So, you know, with the way we're structured, like that's not to say that we go out there and then, you know, like everybody goes home wishing that they made a bunch of money or goes home and goes, Oh, I wish I could pay my rent or my phone bill. That's not the case. We've actually built this to where even if we were to completely lose our shirt on a venture, every person employed by the company is going home with everything that they're entitled to. And that's actually, I think the like sort of one of the bonuses of structuring your business the way we have is that we can ensure security for those that make, you know, that bring the, the physical side of things to life. And it comes out in the wash later because, you know, 
like I'll give you a hypothetical. So you go on tour and you make enough to pay your crew, pay off the bus. And let's just say like best case, even break even, right? And like I said, in the last couple of years, we've been getting to a point where we don't just break even, we come home and it's worth the company's time. But let's mm-hmm. say we just broke even and you're looking at everything that you just had to shill out. You just spent six weeks in major markets playing and you own 100% of your digital. So two months down the line, when TuneCore drops all that Spotify money in your account, there it is. That's what you worked for. And it's higher than the times that you're off the road. So, so that's the opposite of what most people say and think. Mm-hmm. Well, those that say that you can't make money from digital music gave their ability to do so away. <laughs> what, explain that. It's called a recording contract. <laughs> so <laughs> let me see if I understand this correctly. So let's say there was a million plays of a song on Spotify, which generated, say, $4,000 in streaming revenue. And when someone says that they didn't make any money off that, that's because the money went to whoever owns their publishing, exactly. which is probably their label. Yes. So that that money exists, and it may not made it into their pocket. Uh-huh. That money exists. Oh yeah, it does. I mean, th- th- these things don't just happen for nothing. People who just say, you know, digital music is like a dead end, or it's just not possible to get ahead. It, it just depends on the terms of your deal. Depends on if there's a deal in place in in general. We don't we don't have that. I mean, we've we've done some clever things with publishing in the last like year year and a half. We uh, changed our business accounting scenario, and we've got somebody in in our corner that's just so good at this type of stuff and brings opportunities like that. Where I mean, we did a publishing deal, and we were able to um, get money for like you know, all these physical mechanicals and all these royalties and things that you would never spend the time as an independent collecting in all the foreign territories. Like we're running around trying to figure out who got the money in Singapore and all that stuff. So someone comes to you and says, Hey, Aaron, I will go chase down all this random shit on your behalf in exchange for X percent of the money I collect. Yeah. And then there's like a time period and stuff in which they're entitled to uh, also you know, kicking up the dust and generating some revenue on your catalog, right? So like in that time period, it's kind of on them to like run around and collect all that stuff to recoup what they've paid you in advance. And then on top of that, they could also barter for like a video game placement or a movie placement or something. And they're the ones in control. And that's just us just buckling in and doing business in a way that we may not have on our own. So it's not like we're losing anything. In fact, we're just engaging in quality business and there's something up front for us that wouldn't have been there otherwise. And then there's all of this opportunity. And then when the deal's over, you break away clean. It's not a recording contract. They don't own anything. It's just, it's just, it's just a publishing, publishing scenario. And we've done licensing agreements as well in other territories. Like we had a licensing agreement with Basic Records in the United Kingdom in 2014 through 2015 on a record. And when it dissolved, we, you know, it just, they didn't seem to what does that mean that means like they would say hey i would like to put this album out in the uk or whatever and have the rights to sell this on your behalf for a year or whatever and here's how the money is going to change hands yeah and then it's like we get a percentage of your digital in these territories but we'll also assume all of the associated risks with like printing and distributing the physical and stuff so you're trading off like the menial tasks and labor of like handling the fulfillment of the physical in exchange for like a percentage of the digital in that territory and it can be really worth it like for example we did the same thing with a a branch of sony japan and it was awesome well 
we so we just jumped into some pretty uh intense shit here straight away yeah yeah which which i'm happy about but i want to make sure that this is valuable for somebody listening who maybe doesn't have people offering them these licensing opportunities and stuff like that sure um and, and i think the takeaway here more so and and correct me if uh if you disagree with anything i'm saying here but i think the takeaway from this more so than any of the particular things that you've talked about is just your mindset yes. of approaching this of uh, as, as you know, I guess I, a, a spreadsheet is the word that comes to mind and it sounds very clinical and maybe that's not what people got into music to do, but that's the whole reason why you're able to have a decent living right now and you're not desperate. For sure. And honestly, like I couldn't have told you back when this was all starting to like sort of play out and we were building the foundation for like the way this business operates. So like in 2000 and probably late 2015 on until the end of the last touring cycle, which was like days before Christmas, 2019, you know, it's just been like a big nonstop train of just, you know, velocity full speed ahead. So this year has been introspective because I slowed down and I could take a look at everything that we built. And um, between myself and my manager, Rich, like, you know, I mean, the whole world went into shock in March and we were having conversations going, does this affect us? Yeah. I don't think it does. And then all of a sudden, like streaming went up and we were like, okay. And then I'm making a record. So I'm just like in my own like mental prison up against, you know, that's a whole, that's the creative side of things. That's right. the actual music side of things. So that's, oh, you know, I got my head down and I'm just worried about trying to make a record and outdo myself and do everything that I intend to do. But then also being confused by the release timeline and the logistics of how we're going to roll out and if we're even going to roll out and all those things, all the while having conversations with our accountant going, I think we're winning. Like, I think this is actually better. And that's just so strange. Do you feel guilty at all? Knowing how much other people are having a hard time? Because I, I do. This has been my best year ever. And I feel kind of bad seeing other people. Having Here's a the hard thing. Time. If it was just me, yes. But it's, I think it, it has to do with the walk of life that you exist within. If you, if you look at everything. So if you divide things up into, I mean, this might be, this might be like super real for some people to hear, I guess. But if you divide things up into like, you know, you work retail nine to five, all of a sudden now, like just because you work in a, a grocery store or a pharmacy or like a retail clothing scenario. I mean, I, I again, this is just from the vantage point of being a Canadian, by the way. So the way I'm about to frame this might not be the way it is on the ground in America in certain places. Where you guys get free everything in exchange for paying 99% taxes. <laughs> well, that's a whole, that's a, that's a different thing for sure. But we are essentially, we've been conditioned to treat everybody that works in some sort of public sector as a frontline worker, as if we're like in this, in like in the war or something. Mm -hmm. It's like, we're at war. So like, you need to thank your local, like guest jeans employee for being brave. Mm -hmm. And trust me, trust me. That's how I feel. I, I yeah. do feel that way working in a mall when, you know, the numbers are high and you, and you have asymptomatic people potentially breathing on you, sure. you know, like, yeah, it's, it's scary. Now we live in a place with a smaller population and we've done a decent job of controlling it until it got colder here and some details got out of hand. Schools went back in and stuff. We're dealing with it, but dealing with it differently. Anyway, I didn't mean to descend into the, the pandemic situation, but if you look at individuals that have to work in the physical, like out in public, you know, and your job relies on being a restaurant, you know, employee or owner or, um, 
a gym employee or owner. These are these are the things where we're struggling the most. They keep taking them away and bringing them back and taking them away and bringing them back. That's really hard. I absolutely feel for those individuals. If you are the type of person like yourself or myself that have passive e-commerce business, well, you and I are not the only people benefiting from this scenario. It, it's it, it's natural to feel guilty, but we're not alone. I mean, Bezos probably being the dude at the top and then everybody underneath. Like, If you have some sort of passive e-commerce machine that runs itself, you have like the ability to even sell physical products um, that don't require like you know, a team of people to physically fulfill or you don't have retail or anything. I mean, we're also selling things that are there's zero overhead in what you and I do for the most part, right? It's right. like we host digital files in an online server somewhere and we hawk them to people who want to just, you know, listen. Have and access to them. Yeah. That's that's all that really is, you know. And of course we have you know, I have physical products and things that I'm selling now. I am in the midst of a, a rollout and it is a hybrid rollout. It's a traditional in the sense that you can get vinyl and t-shirts and guitar picks and dice and all these things. And sheet happens do have to ship them and handle all that, but I'm not selling them out of my apartment. I'm not, yeah. you know, I just create the, the thing that births all of the offshoots from it. And it just comes out of my brain. So I don't feel guilty. I just feel lucky. Yeah. And 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 did I think like, oh wow, so when the world finally when we get that pandemic that everyone's talking about, I'm going to be set cuz I'm an independent. I never w- I would have been like, pandemic, you crazy? I don't know. I see I kind of did, not specifically a pandemic, but I've been a big student. Uh, do you know uh who Nassim Taleb is? He wrote The Black Swan. Uh just know the name. Yeah, so I've been a big disciple of his since that book came out in 2005 or whatever it is and like he has another book called anti-fragile which the the thesis of that book is basically like how do you construct a life so that you are you know going to do well in times where some fucked up black swan happens that right you know causes distress for other people and i've been a big fan of his for a long time, kind of because growing up, I had a lot of these sort of moments where the rug was yanked out from under me and I was like, oh, this sucks. Right. I was like, I do not want to experience that again. So yeah, I, I do give myself a little bit of credit for constructing a life that sort of assumes that fucked up shit is going to happen out of the blue. I mean, it's I get the guilt part when we look at friends or family or people who are struggling in a time like this. Um, I, I get that. But you do also have to commend yourself because it takes a you know it takes a certain type of individual to have. I mean, for from what I'm understanding, you, you one you're doing the things that you're passionate about. You're doing the things that like mean something to you. So for you, it's just this is how you're going to live your life regardless. But it does sound like you did have some sort of like consideration towards like sure. should things go south, I want to de-risk all. I want to have a life that doesn't depend on the well-being of any individual country. Yes. Oh, that doesn't yes. depend on like weather or mm. international or, or travel or any of these things. Variables. As as, yes, yeah. exactly. As long as there's internet infrastructure, uh-huh. I want to be able to survive. I love it. I mean, because I guess there's like two parts to my business. There's like the, the digital e-commerce part to be honest. And the, as far as e-commerce goes, I'm really only referring to what I do from that 
perspective in regards to streaming. Yeah, I sell some physical merch and stuff, but I don't really hawk all year long. And like for those that don't know, like Finn and I work together. So Finn knows like I'm not yeah. we're not doing like, hey Finn, like can you run these crazy like merch ads and stuff? We don't even 24/7. Really, yeah. We don't really do that. Like we just gear up for campaigns, right? Like we just pick and choose our time. It's surrounding a tour or right now we're doing pre-orders. So like I do, you know, I am selling some physical goods now, but it's not the heart and soul of my business. So because there is a physical portion to what I do and touring and being out there on the road and stuff is part of that. I guess I haven't really thought about it the exact way that you're thinking about it, but I'm very grateful and very fortunate to have another side of the business to, to where this pandemic is, you know, like whatever this scenario is and we could maybe experience something different in our lifetime that has us, you know, shut indoors again. I guess I never really thought so much about how much of an aspect that plays uh, like, you know, how integral that is and how much of a backbone that is to my business and that I can sort of batten down the hatches and still be creative and feel fulfilled. Um, I'm sad because I can't play music with my friends. I'm sad that I can't fully realize this record that I poured my whole year into the way that I would and, and, and do it justice. I'm a little afraid that the cycle could potentially be kneecapped by this just sort of like black swan on yeah black swan yeah. that's a good way to put it you know there's this unpredictable time frame you've seen other industries come and go throughout this whole thing but but would it have been better if you waited a year well we thought of we thought about this i surveyed my my fans on instagram i did like a poll um and i just really wanted to know like how important is it that like your favorite artist is touring in conjunction with a release and as soon as i hit go on that question i realized the answer yeah that it might be important in North America where you're going to see them a couple times a year, but there's like the guy right. in the guy in Taipei that only saw me once and is so thankful that he even got to see that. I might not make it back that album cycle, or maybe I go to these places right. once per cycle if they're lucky. So they deserve the music just as much as everybody right. else in North America. So why does touring have anything to do with it? It actually this is doesn't. Be such a logjam too. Oh, dude! Everybody wanting to tour immediately. So. You know, even if they turned on touring tomorrow, oh, it's going to be a disaster. There's only so many venues and so many days in the year that logjam is not going to clear up for a long time. I mean, my head's spinning just thinking about it. One, what venues survived and can do a show tomorrow? Right. Yeah. So that's going to make the logjam even worse because there's going to be less places to play. Big time. And then I hear something that I know that you're definitely going to. You've probably already talked about it on your YouTube channel, or maybe you've you know you're thinking about it. Just because I know that you're you're really in touch with like the ecosystem of the way these things you know uh, function, and you talk to your your listeners about this often. But you know there was this whole sort of microcosm of 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 touring where you could be a 250, 300 cap band, maybe even a 200 cap band living in a van all year long with your friends. You've, your booking agents always got you shows. You're constantly surviving on the road and you can tell people at home that this is what you do. I tour in a band. Yeah. You're not making big money, but you're getting by. This is what I do. So what happens to that entire bottom rung? I feel like where we're at, which is like on the low, we're a 600 cap band, you know, we can go higher than a thousand depending on the market or the tour or whatever. Big small band or small big band. Are we now the bottom rung? Right. Because they're going to prioritize 
you know, they have, they've been taking Return on investment, man. Yeah. So they have to pack out every show and they're going to prioritize the artists who they believe are going to sell that venue out every night. They need for sure situations. And and, and is that intervals or is it fill on the blank, whoever else? You don't know. That's the thing, right? And it's like, while I feel... And again, there's lots of people that are way lower on the ladder than you are. Oh, yeah. No, but this is what I'm saying is like, if we felt like we were a mid-tier band at the 600 cap level, and now we're what I'm hypothetically considering the bottom of the of the rungs on the ladder, considering like the whole landscape has changed, Right. then what happened to those bands? Like there are bands that have been weathering the storm and maybe getting by and they all already worked other jobs or had flexible jobs when they weren't touring anyway. So they're like, it's all good. We don't have to hang our guns up. We'll just tour when the time comes back. Are those, this is a lot of hypotheticals, but are those individuals completely disillusioned to the fact that there might not actually be a viable touring scenario or, or like ecosystem for them at all? Because maybe it'll be two years before their slot opens up do the big dogs have to go back in there and turn the lights on like that? I I mean, we, you and I both know the answer to this. Yeah. Yes. That is exactly what has to. Yeah. If I was a venue owner, that's how you ha- that's how they have to think about it. And that's not because they don't care about small artists. It's like they literally have to keep the lights on. And this is where it becomes really challenging because deal memos were already so freaking hard. And you know, like there's already so much tension with like merch cuts and like all these different things where, I remember seeing an article that like Rolling Stone or somebody had put out months back about a conversation with somebody at Live Nation and like there was all these deal points about like how much onus is going to fall on the artist now and their responsibilities and what these deal memos might resemble. That's absolutely terrifying that we could operate at the level that we're at. So if I can guarantee you 600 bodies a night, which is, again, that's not it's small, a lot of people. That's not small potatoes. Yeah. And I can go into some markets and do 1,000, uh, you know, depending on the tour package or whatever it is. These are not small shows. There's a lot of money at the door. There's a ton of money at the bar. And we're nickeling and diming that situation. Like, I get it. Your venue's been closed and you guys need to make money just as much as we do. But... Where is the give and take? Because so meaning that they would want more of a cut of merch, and you know that the uh, split as far as ticket sales and stuff is different. That kind of thing. I don't think they're going to be as obvious as like hiking the merch cut. I think they're going to do it in different ways. It's going to be like those little scenarios and spreadsheets that your tour manager is already arguing over, and the little things that your really good tour manager makes sure you're not getting screwed on. There's going to be more hidden weird things to trip over. One line item here, one line item there. Oh, we paid for this, and we had to do this, and we had the frickin' paramedic was on site because we still have a deadly virus going around, or with this scenario. $1,500 and COVID cleaning. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Who, who knows? We don't know because nobody's gone out and done it right, yet. Right. Or if they have, it was the Sturgis rally and you're trapped or whatever. Like, <laughs> Nobody <I> cares. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everything looks good to me. Let her rip. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm not being like pessimistic or nihilistic or any of these things. Like I'm down for whatever. Yeah. These are the questions that you just have to ask. Avoiding them isn't going to help. No, it's like, look, I still have a bus deposit and I'm moving the goalpost on a six-week tour perpetually until it's time to go. When the floodgates open, we will be one of the first. We are ready to go. And as much as you may not want to think about these things, the more you think about them now... We're prepared you are. Exactly, exactly. If you've thought about this for three months and somebody else put it off until the day before the tour, guess who's going to have a better outcome? 
Well, and this is exactly what's going, like, this is what was wrong with, I'll use a, an example here. This is what was wrong with the schools here and the teachers. Teachers are off all summer and that's totally fine. You're entitled to that. But why was it the last week of August that you decided you're going to figure out how to socially distance <laughs> a class? Why, you know, right. and then, and then everyone's shocked that the numbers are flying up in the community. Maybe you should have come in at the end of July and given it four or five weeks to figure out how you're going to pull that off. And if you can't pull it off, what are you going to do about it? And don't. Exactly. So it's not like, oh, touring's right. Cool. Like, you won't be able to get a deposit down on a bus. You aren't going to be able to book. If you don't have something in the books now, right. you don't have a tour for a very, very long time. I can assure you. You've got an entire 2020 of touring that's been rescheduled and the big dogs already had 2021 booked. They already right, did. Right, we right, know right. this. So who, who is like makes my head spin. We're in the mix. We're in the mix a bit and we're ready to go and I'll do things at the drop of a hat, but what a crazy time to be an entertainer. Good Lord. Yeah. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, you can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. 
Well, the interesting thing to me is, uh, and, and I'm not trying to be, you know, Captain Hindsight, I told you so, whatever. It's just genuinely interesting to me how many artists just kind of, uh, I don't know, sort of throw up their hands and just accept the fact that like touring is the only way we make money. It's and really sad. It's just strange to me because like if you're really that passionate about, I mean, I totally understand that people are thrown in the deep end and that sucks. And I don't think there's a lot of easy answers, but it's just strange to me that more people aren't like, all right, well, let's try the following 10 things and hopefully one of them works. There's a bunch of bands doing it and there's a lot of bands not doing it. Um, so, okay, a couple things I can say about this. If you've already got a deal to where you know the label is already owning the majority of your music or maybe you've got a decent deal, but you've got a project that hasn't recouped yet, whatever it is, it's going to be hard for you to find the motivation to like do the things that are going to, where you're going to see that financial benefit from the yeah. platforms we're discussing, like Spotify. You probably don't even have a band camp if you're a label band. There's so many things you're probably not already doing. Then, if you're a traditional orthodox group, there's three of you minimum, four or five. Now, I'm, we're very fortunate to where we run the company. Like I said, we prioritize all of its employees for the work that they do. They're guaranteed everything. Nothing is guaranteed for me, by the way. Absolutely nothing is guaranteed. We roll the dice on everything, and I'm the one who goes, well, I didn't get paid for that entire tour, or wow, the company just shat a whole summer's worth of money because we had some bad shows internationally, whatever, you know? Common things, misperception about business, but what people need to understand is the boss eats last. The boss eats last. That's exactly what it is. So like a lot of people go, wow, like, you know, you, you, you really built that thing out to take care of you. It's like, actually, I built it to take care of everyone else. And if we win big, I win big. But that's the last item in the freaking spreadsheet. Yep. But I want to praise a few acts that I know that are doing crazy things because this is where you need to think outside the box. One of them being what Matt's done with Trivium and acquiring yep. a freaking airplane hanger. And, you know, I mean, he was already doing something that a lot of guys aren't. Ronnie Radke's been fucking killing it on Twitch. Just going crazy. Exactly. The Twitch thing. Now, you have to be a certain personality type. We're not all bred for that. I'm not into living my life on the internet daily, and I know that Twitch takes consistency. Fine. But, you know, there's always, and I know this isn't you, but it's like, this is what I always hear. Sure. It's like, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but I'm like, okay, then do something else. I have the luxury of saying that because I have a business that's doing other forward thinking things and that was already built to an infrastructure to where I don't have to do that kind of thing that's not the means to my end like oh if aaron doesn't get on twitch he can't eat tomorrow right no it's not like that so i can i can have this conversation and look at it through that lens and say i respect you for doing that it's not for me but we're both still doing great so it's all good how many people haven't even tried it though before they've decided it's not for them exactly and the reason i know it's a val very valid point and the reason i know it's not for me is because i've done some live streaming some other things and i just know what it's like working in the intimacy of my own privacy versus having the camera on and the difference in my ability to focus or think or be creative. I mean, any, anybody who's making a great living, if anyone's happy where they're at, then don't change anything. But for the people who are, yes, you know, saying that they're, uh, you know, in a shitty spot, but they're not trying anything different. It's like, it's frustrating because, you know, I want to help. I throw ideas out there and it's just, I feel like people just don't want to say yes to anything. And I just don't really know what to do with that. Exactly. And look at what While She Sleeps is doing as well. There's another great example of some super forward thinking moves. I listened to, uh, I think it's Matt Welsh is his name um, from While She Sleeps. He had a podcast with um, Craig Reynolds on the downbeat. And um, 
which I did recently. Shout out to Craig. He's fucking hilarious. So funny. Yeah, they were talking about like how they had created this approach to their new cycle before the pandemic. And then they realized just like what you and I were talking about a few paces ago. It's like you look at this thing that you built and you had inadvertently created a situation that's about to take care of you. They didn't think that that they didn't design it for that reason. Then they went, wow, we are so lucky we thought of something like this. So they're doing Patreon for anyone who's not familiar. Yeah, it's it's Patreon and then they're but they're doing crazy stuff. Like you can send in your jacket to be like patched and customized by the band and sent back. A very a very well executed Patreon. The tiers are incredible, like really like what they're doing. And then like just let's put all these weird, like flexible, like crazy twenty twenty forward thinking scenarios aside and just look at like a band like what Bring Me the Horizon is doing, you know, for example, where it's just like, cool, let's just use our platform to take advantage of a scenario where we're stuck inside, we're gonna create anyway. Let's tweak some of the content to really draw you in because it's so topical and the timing is just awesome. They have infrastructure where they can execute these crazy ideas. I love everything that they're doing. I love that EP. Mm -hmm. The baby metal track is so good. It's so sick. But I'm just a fan of that. I'm a fan of just using what you've got at the time. It's like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. The world's falling around you. Yeah. You're holding a hammer. You you swing that. Just swing that Mm -hmm. one because that's what you got. I mean, with all due respect to While She Sleeps, I love what they're doing. It blows my mind that that's considered forward thinking in music. Patreon, it's been around for fucking what, seven years or eight yeah. years? Like uh, it's just the way they I mean they call they brand it in a different way. Again, I think it what they're doing is awesome. And awesome. it's not a knock on them at all. It's more for like sure. a knock on everybody else. It's like <laughs> Yeah. This has been around forever. And like I just I don't think people understand recurring revenue for one, and like why that's mm. such a magical, life changing thing. Subscription-based anything rocks. This is why all the biggest companies have that as part of their backbone. That's the thing. Yes, because if if you're selling shit one-off, I mean, e-commerce is awesome, but uh, even so, you're starting at zero every month and you got to build that up again, which is fine. You know, you can do that. But knowing that you've got X number of dollars that are going to come in every month, and even if you lose 5 or 10% of that, you know, it, it's still very forecastable. You you pretty much know how much money you're going to have next month. Yeah, that is a life changing thing. And if anybody you know hasn't ever looked into how to create recurring revenue for themselves, I would highly suggest you do it because it's fucking incredible. And streaming is like that too. You know, your streams are going to go up or down, but they're probably not going to go to zero next month. No. So to some extent, you reliably know that you're probably going to have X number of dollars coming in next month. Yeah, it's a game changer. I mean, I will say that it's not exactly how we've built this business. What feels to me the most like recurring revenue and this kind of subscription-based kind of thing is literally just our digital platforms and the fact that we own them. So Spotify is like my monthly, you know, it's like that. Last time we talked like Bandcamp was, I think your biggest revenue driver. Has that shifted to Spotify now? Bandcamp has accumulatively been a very strong it's just it's an item in the portfolio but it's not okay maybe at a time maybe in the early days it was actually paramount um no TuneCore, so the amalgamation of like spotify apple music and mm-hmm. like all the other platforms that's the uh that's the one gotcha and so that includes bandcamp or no or is that different Oh, it does. So it's literally every single platform except for Bandcamp. So got it. Okay. Bandcamp sort of is its own thing. And then, um, and then TuneCore just bundles the rest. Everything else. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I mean, man, I, I think I feel, again, I feel kind of guilty because YouTube actually in the past 60 days or so 
90 days has gone up dramatically. You're popping off, eh? Yeah, not not just the views, but the the uh, ad revenue because yeah. e-commerce has been popping off. Yeah, so man. everyone's running more ads. So like all of a sudden my YouTube revenue went up like 40%. I'm like, all right, I don't know how long this is going to last, but I'll fucking take it. Humans spend money. And when the money can't get spent, on Main Street yes. or Fairfax or Melrose or wherever, it gets blown online. And when the money goes to the market, this is what the time. Oh, if you don't have an iron in the fire, I'm so sorry exactly. right now. Exactly. The best time to start would have been six months ago. The second best time to start is right now. Right now, yeah. If you aren't at least roasting a marshmallow, you know what I yeah. mean? It's like you, you're doing yourself a disservice because... It's gangbusters on the internet right now. And that's not going to last either because life is going to shift and we go through these yep. big polarizing shifts. But like, if you aren't capitalizing, and I can't say that like I'm patting myself on the back for being this like, wow, I'm so forward thinking as an independent artist. It's just like, I just realized the infrastructure and the like the bones of my business when the shit hit the fan and I realized... I still get to be me. I'm not tweaking, like stressing and freaking out. In fact, things are going better than planned and I still get to fulfill my creative side of things. Yes, it's a bummer that we don't get to have the same physical experiences that we want, but I've recharged my batteries fully as a person that like doesn't, you know. Probably good for your like physical health too, right? I know you've been focusing a lot more on that in the past few years and easier to work out at home than on the road. Well, at least for most people. <laughs> when they took the gym away, no, on the right. road, I'm the most dialed because every single okay. day we're finding a gym and it's part of my day to day and I'm on my feet more and metabolism's just revved up because you're just, yeah, big, big yeah. show every night and, you know, a plus a gym session and stuff. Like, no, okay. I'm definitely more dialed on tour. That's okay. just me though. No, taking the gym away and then being relegated to just like a pile of dumbbells in my apartment, not a vibe. I'm the kind of guy that needs <laughs> to get... It's not fun, is it? No, it's not fun. I need to get out of the house. And then once I sort of let that go, I was like, yeah, I was going to deload for a while then. And then a lot of like mobility issues and other things started to like show themselves like, ooh, yeah, maybe that needed work before you started like building muscle around it or, you know, just yeah. pretending like you're stronger than it or whatever. So, um, I know I used it as an opportunity to really be real with myself and be like, okay, rather than just like clamoring for the gym, the minute it comes back, I'm going to do it from the ground up in a way that's a lot more well-rounded in terms of my like foundation for mobility. I'm going to fix a bunch of chiropractic stuff. I'm going to fix a bunch of physio things that are like, you know, the painful things that you don't want to do every day to be, you know, especially when you're a guitar player, like for a whole lifetime of, of having, you know, crooked shoulders and a messed up neck and stuff like that. Like, you know, I'm just taking the opportunity to fix it also. It's just been a humbling experience in terms of that. But, um, I got to spend more time with friends and when I was allowed to see them, that's on and off, depending on what my government has to say about it. And, um, you know, more time with family and with the lady and just being a person, you know, but grass is always greener. You're home for three weeks and you're yep. like time to tour again. So it's, it's challenging, but either way, made a record. It's coming out. I feel fulfilled. I've got something to show for it. 2020 wasn't a complete dumpster fire in terms of that like i didn't wa watch it all just burn away and go well i've got nothing to show for this in fact i feel very proud to say hey i emerged from like you know 18 weeks of strict lockdown plus i gave my whole summer to recording and here's this thing that we're you know rolling out in a in a way that's 
more organized than I've ever rolled a record out before. Shout out to my manager, Rich Fernandez, for just being an absolute hero and putting that together. And the anyone who's been following along since I started rolling out the first single is probably like, wow, there's <laughs> a piece of content like every other day. We're doing giveaways. Talk about that, about content, because that's like whenever people ask me what they should do, I always like say, make more content. And I know that that's kind of a open-ended term, but what does that mean to you? And how has that helped you? Well, the strategy is obviously to lead with the, the music because the music is, you know, the focal point. And then you let that settle in a little bit and then you satisfy the visual sort of companion to that. So follow up with a playthrough video because that's what works in my world. I'm an instrumental guitar player that people want to see how it's done. So you do a little playthrough video with a little bit of production snazz, you know, you played it 15 times and took it from a bunch of different angles and you get your buddy to edit it and it looks good. So you drop that. And this time we decided we actually wanted drum and bass companions to all of those. So that means each song drop is fourfold because you have the audio and then you get three videos to follow it up. And you get photos from the shoots and various things and stuff. So you're just like, the content makes itself. You need the music first, then the content makes itself. So you just got to put it all on a calendar. And my manager just says, I need this in my inbox by this day. And no excuses, you got to shoot it. So... And if you don't have a manager, just make the calendar yourself. There's that as well. So yeah, I'm the type of individual where for the longest time in the what we call the wild, wild west of intervals, I did it all myself. And you know, I tried to be as organized as I could. There was a lot I was missing. Had a different manager for a while um, who I attribute my entire career to basically getting it off the ground and, and teaching me how this industry functions. Shout out to Brett. And then, you know, when things changed as they do and everyone's got different plans and stuff um we changed up that situation and rich took over and i learned even more from rich how to do this but with you know with the amount of attention i'm trying to sink into the, the creativity every day and then the fact that i don't let somebody else run my socials and i do all that stuff as well i've got my tasks we delegate so i can't also be the mastermind and like m you know manage the entire scenario too or else I'll, I, we'd be we'd be missing a lot we'd be, a lot would be slipping through the cracks so yeah you gotta for a guy like me gotta have that but if you're in a different situation um then for sure you need to do it all yourself. So create a calendar. I always tell people this when I'm giving advice about making content. Do not mention a date or speak about anything until there is a folder on your desktop filled with things to drop at the ready. You're not, you know, you don't just have one video in the song and then roll the record out and be like, cool, I'll patch the rest in. You better have all of it. <laughs> Unless you know that you can reliably you know, fill that pipeline, which some people can, but I, but I think most people probably can't. I don't plan my shit out ahead, but that's because I know myself and I've been doing this for a long time. Right. And I, and I kind of know the, the rate I can create at. Of course. So when you're, when you're in that position, then you can, you know, when to expect the turnaround on things, the art guy's always going to take too long and the editor's always yeah. going to take too long and everything's going to take too long. So you just better have it ready. You, you owe it to yourself to just have it ready or at least be working with people or be like dialed in or well-oiled enough to know that you can produce it at the drop of a hat. So, right. So we, we knew we had three singles coming out. So everything gets a playthrough and in triplicate because it's guitar, bass and drums for everything. Then Sheet Happens decided that they wanted to do, for those that don't know, Sheet Happens Publishing is a company owned by the by Luke from Protest the Hero. They're here in Toronto, and we started by doing the official guitar transcriptions with the company. Um, that's what they're, that's their bread and butter, Sheet Happens Publishing. So they do guitar uh, tabs, which is a major part of our financial ecosystem. And then 
I think it was 2016 or 2017, we did our first vinyl run. So they tested it out. Pro- Protest the Hero is always the guinea pig. Uh, so they test things out on themselves and then they know, okay, yeah, we can fulfill this project for our band so we can definitely do it for others. So then they came to me and said, okay, yeah, I mean, you're top seller with the books, so let's do the vinyl. So they front the whole thing and, you know, we have a structure for the deal. And then it's just on me to make people aware that the vinyl exists and they fulfill worldwide shipping. So we had already been in bed doing all that. So it was like, let's do the whole thing. Let's do cloth. Let's do vinyl. Let's do some fun items. We can host digital music. We've got the physical and digital books. We can do, we've been doing jam tracks. So we do like a special mix of the album where my parts are muted. So you can get the book and learn how to do everything that I'm doing. And then I'm no longer in your way when it comes time to make the cover video or jam at home or whatever. So we have tailored music specifically for those individuals. We're doing all that with them. So all of that is great for you. But if someone is listening and they're like, you know, a smaller solo artist doing all of the things you just said is yes. too much. It's overwhelming. Like sure. how, how would you suggest if they're like, wow, that all sounds cool, but what should I do? Yeah, let me dial that back because that's what's going on in our world. But like, and I talk about it all like it's second nature because we're just built to a point where this is the capacity that we handle. But let's just get right down to the very, like the very bones of the whole thing. You got to have good music. You have to have good music. Well, we all think our content is great. I can't, the music can't be the problem. Oh, you got to have good music. <laughs> and I know that that's subjective, but you got to have good music. But it's not up to you whether your music is good or not, if you want to market it anyway, if you're just making it for yourself. So here's the handbook. This is the guidelines to follow on that. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. Be honest and just make shit that's cool to you. And if nobody likes it, then this isn't for you. Sure. I'm going to be super real about that and just say, rather than trend chasing and setting your targets on stuff like that, it's not going to be the thing. Make stuff that you think is dope for you. It's your therapy. It's your catharsis. This is your outlet it's your release i can't think of a time where i've ever talked to anyone that was like you know privately where like yeah the big breakthrough is we stopped uh making the stuff we were interested in we're just like you know bringing the horizons having a lot of success with that we were like we're going to copy them and boom that's when we blew up no dude this is exactly <laughs> the, the conversation doesn't happen by the time you figure out how to make those moves everybody's moved on and then you just get called like a a derivative of that thing it's like all the embarrassing times that people made a new metal album six years late and the dubstep album and it's just like it's obvious when that's happening it doesn't work so you know you should make sure that your stuff is you know you you should consider the environment that you exist in yeah but i mean if i mean your music is not trendy in any way not really. I mean, it's it's a, an amalgamation of things that I think are cool, and that's just it. But if somebody was making a spreadsheet of oh, like Good the luck. opportunities of like commercial, you know, how do you have commercial successes in music? Like as a musician, this isn't the one. Yeah. yeah Good luck. Like your 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 music would not show up on that spreadsheet, and yet you're doing great. Yeah. So you have to make stuff that's cool for you, and if you're fortunate enough that it resonates with others then the rest of this conversation ensues. So then you you have to be fortunate enough for that, but then also fortunate enough that there's some semblance of like a business mind 
in that head as well. So the creative and the business, which are usually mutually exclusive. <laughs> yes. Typically. And I probably do sacrifice some of that like crazy, like left brain creativity sometimes for like being methodical or calculated. But I will tell you right now that I do not use the right brain calculated methodical part. It has nothing to do with the left brain process. So I make stuff and then I like wake up from you know that like you know it's like a fever like a, dream yeah it's like a possession movie or yeah. something i just watched hereditary over the weekend so i'm just oh, thinking okay. about like when she snaps out of it you know yeah. it's like that you realize what you've done and then you're like oh i need to make something of this and then it, but they're two different mind frames they're completely they're completely different then so you wake up and you're floating in the top of the attic yeah yeah or like, how did i get yeah. here yeah, your arm's on fire, everyone's yeah. soaking wet or, yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah, you just got to make dope stuff that's like cool for you and then you're just going to, you're really lucky if if it does satiate the interest of others. And then you need to figure out how to organize a methodical approach to mystifying and captivating. So I'm a big fan of creating a world that your music or your art lives in, right? Like you need to you need to create some sort of like theme, like there's like... Rather than being everything to everybody, like this is this goes back to what you were just saying. Like on paper, <laughs> what I do doesn't really like terrible fit the idea. bill. It's a t- it's a the worst idea. It's uh, but it appeals to a particular niche that is like a subsect of music that you know, and not to call instrumental or progressive rock like a derivative. It isn't. It one hundred percent stands on its own. But there is like a set of prerequisites that go into floating to the top in that world there's a lot of it you can go on instagram and search the hashtag guitar and you're going to find it all but what's the difference okay well pick a bunch of artists that are at the top of our field and let's look at what makes them stand apart what makes them you know so i don't know i'll just rapid fire you a bunch so like intervals aside polyphia chon animals as leaders animals as leaders and so what's the thing here? Like what, what is, what's the sell? Okay. So obviously the music's all really good. Why is that? So there's such a drastically different amalgamation of influences that have created the sum of like the music is the sum of those influences. So what Polyvia is doing is bold because they went from, I mean, if you dig way back, like they were doing like neoclassical metal stuff, Mm -hmm. like, we all start somewhere. Um, so, you know, they put this spin on it where Tim really wanted to explore, you know, more of a, I don't know, for lack of a better description, I guess, like pop influenced approach to it, which is a rabbit hole to describe like what that even means. But they have a sound and a very polarizing approach to that and a like give no fucks attitude where we're just going to do it our way and we know what we make is cool and you either like it or you don't and they're flagrant about it and that works because that attitude works. We see it work in other walks of life in the music industry, aka the pop and the hip hop world and stuff. That attitude works. So it's working for them. Chan is a completely different set of influences. A lot of the time when people mention all these bands in the same breath, I'm like, y'all just found it in a forum somewhere. You think it's related, but really they couldn't actually be further from each other technical brutal death metal and brutal technical death metal could not be more different (laughs) yeah so it's like you know 
as far as maybe to a to a to a not you know no, but I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, to an uneducated listener, there's a lot of this out of glances. Yeah, with within the context of this subgenre, there's so much nuance between the yeah. just because. Okay, I'll tell you one thing they share: guitars. <laughs> And the Mixolydian scale. Yeah, maybe a little, you know, a couple of modes in there. But no, for real though, like I hear them as completely different artists. I don't find them to be related at all. The attitude and the emotion in the music is completely different. I think that's a big one. Even if they sound somewhat similar, the Polyphia vibe is totally different than the animal's vibe. Ah, It's a chin up, chest out kind of vibe. Like we know it's dope and it bops a certain type of way compared to Chan where like, they're just exploring what they think is cool. Ask Mario where his inspiration comes from. He likes video game music and J-pop and weird, like, they're listening to Toro y Moi and going, oh, this is the vibe, man. Let's get a burrito. Like, that's it. It's literally, emo- he couldn't care less about whether he played it perfect or they don't care. They're just vibing. They're just having fun. Mario just wants to have fun. I loved touring with that band. I love that whole camp. They're just so chill. Like, they make me check my energy. You know what I mean? Because like, these guys are just so relaxed. I love it so much. Like, dude, why are you so aggro? And Mario and I would sit and have conversations and like, it really makes me like slow my breathing down and like, you know what I mean? Change by how I'm vibrating because I'm like, man, you are so chill. I admire it so much. And I admire him as a musician and a player and stuff like that. Completely different energy. Um, and then with animals, I mean, first of all, they kick the door down for all of us. So yeah. there's going to be that. And then the Tosin's just... He's just a natural like anomaly in terms of how he's approached the instrument. He's you know he's a purveyor of new concepts. He's an extremely cerebral individual, also very laid back and kind of like doesn't care about certain things, and just like lets it rip. Here's a Tosin quote from our 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 summer 2016 Europe tour. Remember, like I can't remember the exact context, but we bring it up all the time. We being like me and their media guy Randy and like plenty will reference it sometimes. And we, we always just say, get like, this is a Tosin quote. He says, I'm just trying to do tight shit all the time. (laughs) You know what I mean? And like, wow, that's so like open-ended. It's like that attitude is just like, aren't we all, aren't we all though? Yeah, no, it's like, it's philosophically. It really is the truth. That's I'm trying to just do tight shit all the time with my hood rat friends and a bit of us (laughs) just running around doing crazy shit like that's that's what i'm that's what i'm about so then you know okay so what's the difference like how does intervals survive in that climate well i started making this kind of music in like 2011 so some of these acts other than animals like polyphia weren't doing it yet they're a couple years later chan like maybe mario was posting some videos and some little things here and there but i think he was probably doing his other band or I know that they were really young when they got started, but was it like fully realized at that point? No, it wasn't. I remember putting out The Space Between, which was the inaugural instrumental EP, just sort of being in the world of like what Periphery was doing and some of those other bands, but they all had vocalists. The fact that it released instrumental was like, wait, what is this? That's a fundamental difference. It was completely different. There wasn't this school, like this waved did not exist. I can assure you, I was one of the first to drop an instrumental guitar uh, release that wasn't like, hey, check me out. I'm influenced by all the guys from the 80s. Here's a shit ton of notes. It it wasn't, yes, not even close to that. It's instrumental metal where the attitude and the vibe and the emotion is the sum of its parts. There was, you can fact check me on that, but go back to 2010 and 2011 and show me other than like a couple of like, you know maybe some cloud kicker stuff and like 
chimp's banner and like some things that your listener base has probably never heard of it just didn't really exist in the droves that it does now so fast forward a couple years i'm i'm good i'm i can already imagine my like clickbait video like title right now you know aaron marshall is full of shit is like the title you know is that gonna be checking aaron marshall's web of lies oh man don't throw me under the bus with that one but and and clip this with me in between it but like really aaron well how do you explain (laughs) this and you can go find some awkward videos right anyway so i think that what i'm doing now is like definitely evolved and it's a lot different but household name in the genre staked my claim early never gave up always make shit that's cool to me got lucky that there's a fan base that thinks that that's dope too and the further and further i get away from its inception like the early days like the more and more i'm wearing my actual not okay i shouldn't say actual but like the influences that matter the most to me Mm -hmm. i feel more comfortable channeling my love for early 2000s pop punk and everything into my music through the vessel that is like you know um progressive or instrumental rock and metal um and drawing from those places rather than the same places all of you know not all of but some of my peers draw from i'm not the dream theater opeth guy i'm doing instrumental guitar music in a way that certainly fits the genre and could even pass like for some people and think oh it's fusion or i hear jazz or whatever it's like sure yeah i like those things but really I'm kind of giving you the kitchen sink. It's like... See, me, I listen to anything from Paul Gilbert to Jason Becker. I'm just all over the place. Oh, yeah, real diverse. (laughs) It's a a whole universe of music in there. No, so I'm like slamming together like my love for like soulful, top-line contemporary guitar like Pat Metheny with my love for D-beats and like the warp tour so it's really weird because the two have zero to do with each other but if you approach it you know in a way that it can it absolutely can i'm thinking about say hello to sunshine by finch but i'm also thinking about death of a dead day by sixth and i'm also thinking about newfound glory and but i really like bad religion and strung out and afi and my chemical romance but i also love you know what i mean it's i'm all over the place so to me i'm just trying to get that emotion into a way that's like all of these things fit with each other craig mentioned that when i did the downbeat he's like i don't know a shit ton about your genre but i can honestly say i don't usually hear like d beats and that type of like you know that energy or that like approach to you always hear the same you know, either you hear the same things in our our world, or you hear things you've never heard before because they're so weird and so left of center. Like you're having a hard time counting it, or it's extremely angular. Or it's like here's the polyrhythm section. Like right. I do those things too. I like those things, but I'm more rooted in like songwriting and the things that got me excited about music when I was really young. Like I remember hearing City of Evil for the first time and being like, "Wow, Avenged Sevenfold's unreal." I remember like finding a tray you and Avenged Sevenfold in like a tiny column in Guitar World magazine, like who you should check out, like you know, like the like yeah. bands to watch for. And then I saw Second Heartbeat, and I'm like, like you know, like live at the Warp Tour on YouTube, or probably not even YouTube. Like where was I even consuming content at that Daily time? Daily Motion. <laughs> I have yeah something, man. I don't even know. GameTrailers.com. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 
I mean, and I found so many of like, you know, I found Protest the Hero through like a local, through Much Music, which is like the Toronto MTV. And we had like Much Loud, which is like, you know, maybe your parents paid for like the other channels, right. the, the 300 section that had like the like, you know, more like curated stuff. So you could find Protest the Hero, but you were also finding bands like Glassjaw and you were finding bands like Motion City Soundtrack and Hot Water Music and Alkaline Trio. And it's like, I just, I don't know. I just got, I got an education through that. Like it's like punk and then where punk started to like toe the line with metal and then like, Oh, okay. Wow. Like progressive metal and sixth and Meshuggah and all this stuff. Like I'm literally all over the place. So, well, I would love to talk about much music all day long, but I have to go <laughs> do some jujitsu. So I got to let you go. Ooh, respect. Well, good conversation, dude. I mean, hopefully everybody took something away from that. I mean, we always get right into the brass tacks with the business stuff, but some people aren't really equipped to have that discussion and you and I usually approach it from that angle. So I, th- I feel like it's good to, uh, to do that. So thanks for having me on, man. Good to chat. I appreciate it. Yeah. Same to you. And uh, hopefully we get to see you soon. Yeah. I hope so, buddy. All right. Take care. All right. Let's get into some Q and A. From Brandon Morris, in my humble opinion, there is growing demand for sincerity in media. Do you think humility plays a role in a channel's success? Has putting focus on mental health and being introspective helped grow your fan base? And do you think we'll see self-awareness style content grow in popularity? I totally agree that yes, there is demand for sincerity in media, or at least in some some part of media. And I think the answer to all these questions is it depends. There's always going to be people who are like insincere, arrogant douchebags that act like total assholes and get rewarded for it by the the viewers. For example, like Dan Bilzerian or Jake Paul would be good examples of that. But on the other hand, there's also people who are the, there's also room for people who are the opposite of that. And I guess to answer your question, you know, I think that uh, for so long, media was so like clean and uh, I don't know, censored isn't the right word, but like safe and boring, like, you know, on TV, nobody could say the word shit. Like, think about that until South Park started doing it sometime in the 2000s. But like for 50 years of TV, nobody could even say the word shit. (laughs) And it's like. And I understand why, because I want to keep it safe for advertisers and blah, blah, blah. You couldn't say it on the radio. Like, there's these seven forbidden words that everyone says at home and everyone says privately, but you couldn't say them in the media because they're so bad. And so then when people just started being real, uh, as a lot of people do on social media, it's a big breath of fresh air. Now, in regards to like humility and stuff, the reason that I try to be humble is just because it looks so bad when people are not humble because you know none of us are right 100% of the time. We all get things wrong. And if you were if you're humble and wrong, people forgive you. If you're arrogant and wrong, that is just, that's a really bad look. And I never want to be that person. Has putting focus on mental health and being introspective helped grow your fan base? I don't know that it's helped grow it. Anytime I talk about that stuff, that's not like the thing that makes YouTube recommend my videos more or anything like that. But I would say that it definitely helps deepen the relationship I have with the people who do watch. So I don't think it helps grow it, but I think it helps deepen it, which is just as important. I mean, I would rather have a smaller number of really engaged, smart, like cool viewers than a large number of just sort of, you know, shallowly engaged dummies that don't get it. So uh, that's kind of, you know, it's always a trade-off between, you know, growing the fan base and deepening your relationship. Uh, And I, I try to do a little bit of both. From Colin McGinty, not McKenty, McGinty. 
In your Hot Topic video, you mentioned Great Northern Mall, which I got a big kick out of. How long and when did you live in Cleveland? Do you miss it? When's the last time you were back? Uh, I lived in Cleveland from 1996 to 1999, and no, I do not miss it at all. <laughs> Sorry, Clevelanders. Like, you know, I thought that growing up, you know, I had only been to California, Washington, and Oregon. I grew up in the Seattle area, and I just thought the rest of the country must be better than that because that's just kind of how you think when you're a kid or at least how I did like whatever I have sucks everywhere else must be cooler and I moved to Cleveland and quickly found out that that was not true uh actually the west coast is pretty awesome and at least for me there's nowhere else in the country that really compares I'm glad that I lived there because I got to see you know, a part of the country and experience just a culture that's different from the one I grew up in. And I really do feel like the West Coast versus the Midwest, you know, might as well be another country. Like if it was Europe, they'd be different countries, I think. And, and I'm not saying one is better or worse than the other. Like I, I like the West Coast better, but I'm not putting down the Midwest at all. There's a lot of people that are really happy to live there. And you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Like if they're happy, that's all that matters, but it's very different. It's not a good fit for me. I think the main thing is that like in the West coast, there's like a real strong desire to move forward and make things better and like improve things and just to make things the best they can be. And, you know, that's why you see like, that's, that's why like the whole tech industry here is here, I think, because there's just this drive to make things better. Like there's a better way we could do this. Let's start a company to do it. And that just doesn't really exist in the Midwest so much. Like people are just kind of content to keep things the way they are there. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. Like it's arguable that those people are, you know, in a happier place than those of us on the West coast that are like hustling and trying to make things better, but it, it's just not a fit for me. Uh, so I, no, I don't miss it at all, but I am glad I lived there. Uh, the last time I was back was in 2015. I think the, uh, alternative press music awards were there and I went for that for like two days or something like that. Uh, and it really didn't seem that much different from when I left. So yeah, Cleveland, what would I say? Uh, it was real. It was fun, but it wasn't real fun. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that. And you can just sit at home thinking about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians. 
everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks With Johnny, streaming everywhere now.